This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Hi and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, the show where we talk all things real estate and we tend to cover news stories from around the country, uh, locally and also internationally if we have time or just things about what's happening in the market or tips and advice. Sometimes we'll even fit in a little bit of news about for landlords and tenants and we'll just see how we go today in this 25 or so minute format. So lovely having your company. The first article to talk about starting local is that there's a downturn in the market as Palmer's North property values fall 5.4%, it says. So the latest QV house price index shows Palmer's North recording the largest decline among the country's major centres over the three months ended in April and for the second month running. The report attributes this trend to a combination of high interest rates and loan affordability constraints. I'll talk more about that later. QV's Manawatu property consultant Olivia Roberts said it was a trend that looked likely to continue in the foreseeable future. She said, I don't think we're going to see this stabilise until interest rates stabilise. We've seen consecutive changes to the OCR recently and it's really a result of that. So at face value, the prospect of lower prices would meet a favourable market for potential buyers. However, Roberts said that there are other factors that made property market harder to access for prospective homeowners. She says, I don't see many people winning in this situation. It's hard for first-home buyers to reach the 20% deposit threshold. Property investors are seeing returns diminishing, and for developers it's more of a risk as building costs start to rise. So really, uh, when they talk to Ray White licensee Stu Fleming, who's worked in the property market for decades here, he took a different view on the price decline across the city. He said the usually stable market had seen an unusual amount of fluctuation. Just to quote him, I think what we're seeing is a correction to the increase we saw over the past year. We're coming off the back of people's properties doubling in value in past years. Houses would last 20 days on the market, and now it's an average of 60 days on the market so far this year. He said although the city was seeing that big decline, it had come off the back of a fairly big increase. And I'll just pop that in context for a moment. That Remember, we've been getting increases here of up to 30% per year, normally in the mid-20s here in Palmerston North. So to come back, uh, that amount is simply just a very small uh, change at this stage. So nothing necessarily to worry about, but, but we also have led the way in the largest increases, so naturally we may lead the way in some decreases as uh, things fluctuate. This article I just saw recently from Janine Rankin on stuff.co.nz. It says, Cluster of cultural buildings provides potential city precinct. So Palmer's North cluster of council and cultural buildings in Main Street has the potential to be transformed into a creative precinct. They're looking at a plan of a boutique hotel, a cultural centre, central city living, a car parking building, more shops, and a new Timanua feature, um, or, or and a new Timanua feature among the most ambitious concepts presented to city councillors for the first time this week. And there are plans online on stuff. Council staff, Rangatane representatives, and lead. Consultants Arup unveiled 90 pages of concepts and ideas to councillors at the first workshop to be held in public since the council 
ditched its practice of holding briefings behind closed doors. The area being considered for this precinct stretches from the council building on the square, running the length of the block between Church Street and along Main Street to the railway land. It already contains a civic administration building, conference and function centre, art gallery, Te Manawa Museum of Art, Science and Heritage, the New Zealand Rugby Museum and the Globe Theatre, as well as the first floor of the library. So Arup architect Pete Bosley said the cluster presented many opportunities both for each part and as the foundations of something bigger. And there's some pretty cool uh, architectural plans that are in this article. So most cities in the world would give their right arm to have this incredible potential with so many cultural organisations in close proximity. Council Chief Planning Officer David Murphy said there were seismic issues with many of the council-owned buildings which provided the impetus to do more forward planning than simply fixing them up one by one, and doing nothing isn't an option. So Rangatane representatives Warren Warbrick and Peter Terangi have been working with consultants from the start of their discussions and have come up with a vision for the future, a civic and cultural place that welcomes, uplifts and nourishes communities by weaving together past, present and future. He said the precinct could work like the umbilical cord of the city, reaching out from uh, the belly button of Timarai Ohene, the square, with its cultural theme of peace, winding a plate of fibres into Main Street as a place of growth, creativity and knowledge. The planning so far envisages the street as a place more for people than traffic, with planting and some protection from the weather. So it's pretty cool. Architects must just love this stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit like the Christchurch rebuild was well, not really but I guess it's an analogy that uh, their architects have said, right, let's, let's start again and, and see what you think. So we're not talking about something quite that dramatic, but we're talking about the addition of uh, quite a few uh, new elements. And one could include a Rangitane Cultural Centre next to the Civic Administration Building on Main Street, a parking building and commercial space on Church Street. And those buildings would sit behind the conference and function centre, extended to provide a 600-seat banquet hall, because they've actually got quite a lot of land there where that single-level um, car park is at the moment. And there's various options that they've looked at. But that's something, if you wanted to have a look, that's on uh, stuff.co.nz, and it's really something that's uh, positive and um, good to look at. So just travelling around the country now, a couple of headlines some Christchurch vets have bought the famed Britain Stables home for $7.85 million. So veterinarians Michelle McMaster and Steve Heap, who have spent that $7.8 million to buy the luxury property, had said they'd long admired the brick facade of the property uh, while passing by, but did not realise it was so well known when they purchased it. It was created by inventor, designer, property developer and motorcycle pioneer John Britton and was renovated by Britton's daughter and son, Isabel and Tom Weston. The renovation cost $2.5 million and featured on the show Grand Designs. So when it went for sale, they just loved it and bought it. So that uh, article there, um, and it has a ra- rating value of $3.84 million in 19. 19- sorry, 2019, and uh, sold for 7.85. So that's something which uh, is pretty, pretty stunning. In other news in Dunedin, another story about uh, a home being put into Dunedin's old church. So there's apartments uh, that have been built in 2005 in one of Dunedin's old churches, 
and it can be pretty hard to find a affordable property. So in Dunedin, what they've done is they've got three apartments at 81 Moray Place in Dunedin, which is the site of an old old church. And according to Heritage New Zealand, the building is one of the oldest churches in the city and still standing. So they're only a five-minute walk from the Octagon, and they are less than $540,000. This is something you can probably look up on, online. And uh, it was designed originally for the Congregational Church by Dunedin architect David Ross, who was most famous for design, designing uh, the Athenaeum in the Octagon and the Otago Museum, as well as Eldersley and Fernhill Mansions. And it opened for worship in 1864, served as a church for 130 years, then it was changed to a cafe, and finally flats. So it's a pretty, pretty cool building there. It's a historic place listed, so you can't change the outside too much. The flats are 80 square metres, two bedrooms, and they're in the upper part of the church and feature carved wooden trusses from the original interior. Uh, so really interesting property there, and uh, we'll just see how that goes. It's only a uh, – the, the real estate agent says it's only a 30-second walk to the Octagon, which is the main part of Dunedin. So um, that's something that if you were interested, you could look that one up. Going back towards Christchurch now, Lincoln residents say they're devastated as a controversial 1,700-house subdivision is recommended for approval. So the town of Lincoln could get thousands of new residents uh, if this bid succeeds. Lincoln residents say that their little town is not set up to handle almost doubling in size after a controversial plan they fear will gobble up productive farmland overcomes an important hurdle. So Independent Commissioner David Caldwell has released his draft recommendations to the Selwyn District Council suggesting it approves the application to rezone 186 hectares, that's the size of basically 186 football fields, of rural land outside Lincoln to residential land. So according to last year's long-term plan, there were currently 2,666 homes, so adding 1,700 lots is a pretty big change. But we've got similar uh, things happening here in the Manawatu, looking at b- building quite large lots in uh, flat land. It's just easy to do. But Christchurch has really been growing. I mean, things are still very affordable down there, and uh, that's got past that first stage, but probably still uh, a long way to go. Again, they'll be looking at probably a likely situation of more affordable housing uh, linked in with the housing that's probably uh, a bit more expensive and exclusive. Um, And that's similar to what they're doing here uh, in Palmas North um, with the building that will be going place out um, towards, towards Ashurst on that side of town. Well, now we'll have a look at the markets and the sales market. Uh, this article from oneroof.co.nz says, are doom and gloom predictions to blame for falling house prices? So if you've ever wondered, uh, you know, the, the headlines that you get in the media are pretty catastrophic sounding. And, and that's because they grab little bits of data or information to put out there. And there is talk that that can create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, for example, uh, if economists are saying the market will drop, people believe it will drop, um, and so they stop buying. And because they stop buying, the market drops. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the old uh, way way of thinking. So when we're asking the question, do economists' house price predictions have an impact on the residential property market? No, says Michael Gordon, acting chief economist at Westpac. 
All of the major retail banks are predicting a correction in house prices, a sharp turnaround for the market, which had been enjoying an unbelievable hot run throughout 2020-2021. I was just doing some figures today and I think fielding doubled in that time. The latest house price figures from OneRoof and other market trackers have highlighted weaknesses in most of the major cities with prices and sales volumes dropping and purchases by first-home buyers way off levels seen last year. So Gordon himself believes house prices will fall 15% over the next two years. He says most behavioural or sentiment stories about the housing market are really an attempt to put a human face on the financial forces behind it. He says economists and house prices are responding to big rises in mortgage rates. And another example is what they call FOOP, which is the fear of overpaying, which insinuates that buyers' decisions are fear-based and therefore irrational. But it makes sense to think about how other people's willingness to pay might have changed given that we're all facing the same mortgage rates. Independent economist Tony Alexander regularly polls real estate agents on the state of the market and some of the responses in his latest survey blamed falling prices on commentators and the media. He says one of the indicators that the market has solidly turned is the agents blaming the forecasters and blaming the media in particular. Alexander says it's easy to combat the argument that forecasters are to blame. For example, back in March 2020 when COVID struck, economists were predicting house price falls of about 10%, but prices actually rose 40%. He says that's definitive proof that economists' forecasts do not drive house prices. He adds that in November 2021, ANZ predicted that house prices would continue to rise over 2022. Westpac in the same month said that only expected modest declines in house prices only in late 2022. So we're in November 2021, and there are basically no forecasts of house price declines to worry about in the near future. So there, there we go. Um, the number of, uh, between October and November of last year, the percentage of real estate agents reporting fewer first home buyers in the market jumped from a net 2% to a net 56%. Another indicator from the surveys was the decline in FOMO, the fear of missing out. In October, 70% of agents reported seeing FOMO, but only 39 did by the end of November. So in other words, agents could see the FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, was already receding strongly. The market was already turning before the large economic forecasters came out and said, you know, these house prices could be falling away. So there's still plenty happening in this region, in Manawatu, to keep things uh, pretty stable, I've got to say. And that includes a number of really large projects that we've got going on, and and that's going to keep going for some time yet. So so we haven't reached a situation here where supply and demand um, have equalised. Um, there is still a shortage of properties um, in this area. So some of the sort of headlines that you get, uh, I've got a few articles here. One is that ASB picks a 20% house price, house price fall, the biggest drop since the 70s. But they, the thing with this one and the last article was they're predicting it over um, a long, long time or a longish time, a couple of years, sort of thing. So we just have to see what happens there. And uh, yeah, it's really a, I guess the changes in mortgage rates, the difficulties in the tight LVR restrictions, which uh, means that uh, people. That the banks giving out less loans. There was also the debt to income ratio, which is that banks are not lending as much uh, as an amount as they were, 
that with interest rates rising, uh, building costs going up, etc., it's natural that uh, steam comes out of the market. And in fact, the government may have uh, put a bit much in place too quickly, but we'll see what happens there. So the article that was on stuff recently um, did point out that Manawatu Wanganui uh, had a decrease of 4% in the house prices from from a year ago. And that's, uh, again, they quote um, Jen Beard, who's the CEO of the Real Estate Institute New Zealand as the source of that figure. So generally, most of the areas in the country have uh, are going down in terms of where they were a year ago. So it's just a little, little bit of a correction. Now, the just changing the the I guess the tone slightly, we're going to building and building costs. This article uh, has the title. It's as frustrating as hell, owner of a new build sleeping in a tiny home on site after jib shortage delays. So anyone who knows people in building uh, would know that there are real problems getting jib at the moment, which is the the board that you use for lining the interior of properties. So this article talks about an Auckland man who's having to live in a tiny home on site of his new house because delays in supply of jib has pushed his move-in date out by months. Mason, who did not want to give his last name out of concern that it would create problems for his builder, said construction of his house in Clevedon began in August last year and he should have been moving in about now. But we can't move into our house because we can't get jib. The rental he and his wife are living in had sold in anticipation of their move and was taken over by new owners two weeks ago. So now the couple are living in a 30 square metre home on their building site. I remember when I was a younger man working overseas, I lived in a 30 square metre dwelling. It's not very large. Builders had been also able to make the garage secure to store their furniture before it was finished, but it had cost them a bit more. So Mason's builder was told by suppliers before Christmas that there was not an issue with jib and it would have a delivery in time of three to five weeks. An order was placed by the when the builder came back from his holiday at the end of January. So uh, big suppliers like carters and placemakers warned major construction companies of delays in July. Customers had been told Fletcher would not deliver any new orders before the end of May, and then Winstone announced it would not take advance orders at all, and uh, Carters did not want to comment on the shortage. So Mason's builder was then told there was no supply until September. Gee, that's pretty grim. So they're now living on site, and he thinks it's cost them about an extra $5,000. <laughs> He's quoted as saying, it takes about eight months to build a house, and it takes more than that just to supply the jib. So the eighth-month build has gone out more to a 14-month build. The Some companies had uh, secured in advance um, quite large amounts of jib as well. So that's always something if you're looking at uh, having your house built to ask how easy that they can source it and will there be delays. So the time between when you decide to build a house in some cases and moving in have uh, really stretched out. So we're going to move on a little bit here and... This article is about interest rates, and this is from landlords.co.nz. It says, interest rates biting investors as a market correction kicks in. So the latest QV house price index shows the average home dropped in value by 2.2% nationally over the three-month period to the end of April. In the Manawatu Wanganui region, which is quite a large region, it was 1.6%. So, and the average annual growth is down to 14% across the country from the 18.3% in March. 
QV General Manager David Nagel says it's difficult to see the market rising again anytime soon, with interest rates forecast to rise further in response to inflation, while net migration is likely to be negative for the rest of the year. He says it's no surprise the biggest value drops are in locations that had the strongest growth over the past couple of years. These markets were the first to become overheated and that makes them more susceptible to a value correction as rising interest rates, tightening credit and affordability concerns start to kick in. And that's where they talk about uh, Palmas North having a three-month value decline at 5.4%. So just uh, watch the space. I'll keep you posted on, on how things are going. So I've got so many articles here about about uh, the downturn, etc., and those sorts of things in the market. It's really amazing uh, how it does dominate the news. However, this article by Westpac says, don't expect an oversupply of houses. New Zealand's massive shortage of housing has started to turn, but the country is not headed towards an oversupply, Westpac says. Many years of underbuilding, particularly following the global financial crisis of 2008, meant supply did not keep up with a rapidly growing population. And between 2015 and 2020, the population grew by around 11%, but over that same period, housing stock only increased 7%, according to Westpac's economists. That imbalance left the country with about 75,000 too few homes, with the shortages most intense in Auckland, you might recall that. Western senior economist, Westpac senior economist Satish Ranchod said the imbalance had been rapidly eroded since the start of the pandemic and the shortfall has fallen by about 30,000 homes. While that left a shortfall of around 45,000 homes, big changes around supply and demand were in train. Home building had surged despite material and labour shortages slowing the completion of housing developments while the population growth had plummeted. Net migration would eventually turn positive, but expected it to settle at around 30,000 people per year. That's a big step down from the annual inflows of 50 to 60,000 people in the years leading up to the pandemic, and that impacts the change that will be felt across the economy, including our housing market. So one would assume from those numbers that things will catch up, but it will just take some time. So they have said that housing shortages nationwide had now started to turn around, uh, particularly in Auckland, where the population had dropped by 1,300 people in the year to June 2021. So Ranchard said that Auckland's shortage had fallen from around 35,000 homes at the start of the outbreak to around 15,000. So still a way to go, but with building activity continuing to ramp up, the underbuilding of homes in Auckland is on track to be largely eliminated by the end of next year. Now we'll just move on a little bit here. I've probably got an article. I'm just going to leaf through a bits of uh, bits of paper here. Here's a, a, a I guess a, a word of warning for landlords. This is to do with providing social housing. So this article says landlord refused by almost every insurer after leasing flats for social housing. They probably should have checked that beforehand. So Tayoni O'Regan, Operations Manager for Aromai, says the lack of social housing insurance is discriminatory. When Matthew Ryan came to renew the insurance on a block of 18 properties he decided to rent to a social housing provider, he was shocked to see almost no insurers would provide cover. Of the eight insurances, or insurers and underwriters approached by his broker, one offered cover and the premium almost doubled to $38,000 with the option of a $10,000 excess if he opted for a policy that did not cover malicious damage or arson. If he wanted full cover, the excess went up to $250,000, which Ryan said meant one of the properties would have to burn down completely before it was worth claiming. 
So Ryan said insurance, insurers' stance bordered on discrimination and could put off other private landlords from, from providing their properties to social providers. Regardless of whether I rent it to John Smith or Emerge Aroteroa rents it to John Smith, what difference does it make? It's the same John Smith, he says. Ryan has now secured insurance, which he gained by using the property's original broker, as he is able to secure the policy due to his relationship with the insurer. So just be really careful if that's an avenue if you're looking at going down. If you've got an organisation there, then um, that's uh, something which is just to be aware of. In other, other news here, this article uh, from grantthornton.co.nz says, Property, if the budget genie gave me one wish, I would ask for dot, dot, dot. And so what they've done is they've uh, done some of the things that people might like in terms of giving tenants a better experience. One is uh, renting as a customer-centred subscription service. So overseas in, in Europe, um, there are build-to-rent communities which, which are large-scale building developments and you have uh, large-scale owners. Uh, for example, Simplicity and Kiwi Property Group are already dabbling in build-to-rent developments and overseas in, in countries like Europe, pe- uh, renters can live in a complex where, and the individual units cannot be sold, but they can live there for life if they want to. What happens is paying rent, there is a return. It is very secure, but it's a smaller return than you might get um, if you had something like a residential or commercial rent. But you see, sometimes having a lower rate of return that has more surety is, is very good for people at a certain stage of their life. Uh, that is their, their, uh, in terms of what they may require. So some other types of uh, developments, they say these, these might need alternate rules because there are special types of communities like retirement villages and student accommodation that have their separate rules. If build to rent was the same, it could be different taxes or it could be different rules and so forth. So the idea would be that the communities can be professionally run with on-site maintenance service, make it more livable, pleasant experiences for tenants resulting in a lower churn. That would help keep the rents down because a complex could really be a commercial property proposition rather than a residential one. And that's where uh, when I was living overseas in, in apartments, those were owned by um, very large uh, investors and often related to things like super funds and so forth. So I think that's something that we could look at here is uh, building, uh, building upwards and uh, also just fitting in more tenancies. So that's probably the, the thing that that article talks about in terms of, of that. I'm a fan of, of having larger scale building um, and having investment groups that you invest into and get a return uh, and that helps to fund uh, at the and the returns um, go into in the pool, so to speak. So the investor gets a return, but they invest in a large scale way. Well, that's all we've got time for today. And it's been lovely having your company here on Property Matters. Just remember, if you Google Greg Watson, I'm your host, you can Google me and Property Matters to find any more information and other real estate stories. Otherwise, just have a listen to uh, this broadcast, Property Matters, on npr.nz website, or alternatively, where all good podcasts are found. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. 
For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.